0: Well, good morning and welcome everyone. My name is Nelson. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to begin by saying a huge thanks to Hillary and Blythe for their incredible sermons these past two weeks. Uh, Hillary will be back to close out our embodied Advent series next Sunday. But let me just say by no means is this the end of our conversation on embodiment. Ours is an in incarnate faith all the time, not just during Advent. Last week Blythe talked about the pain and suffering of being a body and today I get to say something about the joy and pleasure of being a body which on the surface might seem like the opposite end of the spectrum and in a sense it is but in another sense as I'm coming to learn joy is never that far away from pain or grief or loss or unease these experiences need to be held together especially since we're still in this grand in-between, this waiting, doing our best to live safely and responsibly within limitations and restrictions no one would freely choose, wondering when things will change. So in looking at themes of joy and pleasure, my goal is not to do so in a way that would dismiss anyone who may be having a hard time connecting to a lived experience of joy right now. There is space for all of us in this conversation. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever your body has encountered this week, you are welcome here. And so in that spirit, may we open ourselves to consider the possibilities of joy and pleasure that we can know and practice and live into because God made us bodies. We're gonna begin with scripture. And so if you have a Bible or an app close by, I want to invite you to open it to Luke's gospel, chapter one, and I'm going to read there from verses 39 to 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is the word of the Lord. So the context here is that Mary has been told by the angel that she will carry in her womb the Son of the Most High, the one who's to be called Jesus. So Mary hurriedly packs up to go visit her cousin Elizabeth, an elderly woman who is also miraculously pregnant with the one who will be known as John the Baptist. Here's my question. How fast was that hurry exactly? Given that the distance from Mary's home uh, her hometown of Nazareth to the Judean Hill Country was about 90 miles. And, that uh, she was almost certainly traveling by foot while in her first trimester. So let, let's say the average pace of a non-disabled human is about 2.5 miles per hour. So if you were to walk for 8 hours a day, you could cover 20 miles a day. I'm guessing I could count on one hand the number of times I've walked 20 miles in a day. Now I've done some significant exploring by foot in European cities. I've done a few long hikes. Um, I've sung that Proclaimers song many times, but I've never actually (laughs) walked 500 miles. Never mind 500 more. Uh, I have yet to make pilgrimage to the Camino, though I sure hope to one day. And I own a car, so let's assume, though, that eight hours a day was easily doable for people who are accustomed to walking everywhere. All of this considered. That little phrase, Mary hurried, was a -a four-and-a-half-day trip on human legs with morning sickness, which is quite a commitment to get to someone, to be physically present with them. So talk about joy and pain coexisting together. When we read and imagine these ancient stories, let's not forget the details were experienced by bodies. So the multi-day trip has happened. Mary, who's no doubt exhausted, even though she's probably super fit and, you know, is able to do these eight-hour walking days normally without much problem, but she arrives at the home of Elizabeth and a greeting happens. We don't know for certain what was said or gestured or exclaimed or cheered or how long they embraced each other. Luke's storytelling at first is almost maddeningly understated here. All he says is Mary entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. But we quickly realize that the greeting proper is not the main point. What matters most is what happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting. Namely, a fetal John the Baptist, upon sensing the nearness of the promised Messiah, launches into an in utero dance party. And also the Holy Spirit filled her, so no big deal. Kathleen Norris describes the scene as an indelible image. Two pregnant women, one of them just beginning to show, the other round and heavy, who is startled when her infant leaps in her womb. It's a joyful scene, both everyday and extraordinary. For Elizabeth's child, we are told, recognizes that Mary bears the Savior long promised to Israel. Mary is, as Elizabeth suddenly exclaims, no doubt after being kicked hard by John, the mother of our Lord. It usually takes a good kick for us to recognize that God is in our midst, which is itself a sermon in one sentence. We don't have time. But a joyful scene indeed, and as Norris hints, this is a story that emits huge reverberations backward and forward. Consider, for example, that Zechariah and Elizabeth are the ones with whom Luke begins his gospel. As chapter one opens, Jesus and his family are waiting in the wings. We don't know a lot about Zach and Liz, as I like to call them, but what we do know holds incredible relevance for the hopes of Israel. Zachariah was a priest. Elizabeth came from a priestly family. For Zach, that meant annual trips to Jerusalem. It meant teaching. It meant investigating issues of purity and interceding for the people. Liz's family would have done the same. These two, in other words, were directly involved in making theological sense of Israel's status as oppressed people under the cruel tyranny of the Roman Empire. In his book, Reading While Black, Esau Macaulay draws parallels from Zachariah and Elizabeth's story to that of black Christians in our day. Zach and Liz, he says, would have faced the cynicism and despair that marks the lives of the disinherited. They interacted with people every day whose lives and the lives of their grandparents had been shaped by foreign rule and the casual disdain that accompanied it. They would have faced the same questions that black pastors have had to deal with for generations. Where is God? Why hasn't he saved us? Does he care about our suffering? Zachariah must have been forced to explain what Torah faithfulness meant in his context. Why keep the festivals and say the prayers if tomorrow might look much the same as yesterday? In spite of all this, Luke tells us that together they lived honorably before God, careful in keeping to the ways of the commandments and enjoying a clear conscience before God. As Macaulay puts it, Zechariah and Elizabeth had walked from one end of their life to the other and maintained their faith in God despite the fact that many of their friends and neighbors may have long since given up any hope that god might act they continued in this faith even though they had been unable to conceive and give birth to a child now i haven't forgotten that our topic today is joy and pleasure by the way but right here is the reason we need to give space to consider this theme for those who are having a tough time connecting to it because as joyful as it is to imagine a baby kicking its mother inside the womb, that's not where Luke's version of the Christmas narrative begins. Instead, the Jesus story, the one about good news of great joy for all people is dropped right in the middle of Israel's pain. Pain that includes the big picture tragedy of exile and disinheritance as well as the personal traumas of each individual Israelite. In other words, Luke begins with the issue of injustice as a central concern. Here's Macaulay's summary. Why did Zechariah and Elizabeth continue to trust in God? Because he was a God who frees from slavery. His fundamental character as liberator marked him out as trustworthy, even when they had yet to experience it. Black Christians who came to Christ surrounded by the false gospel given to them by their slave masters were right to see in the Exodus narrative a God worthy of their trust. The first generation of black Christians and Zechariah's generation share a common faith in the God revealed during the Exodus. Therefore, God's decision to visit Zechariah and Elizabeth and Luke's decision to begin his story here are in themselves vindications of black faithfulness because we too know the longing for consolation. So against this backdrop, how much more awe-inspiring, joyful, even pleasurable is it to bear witness to this greeting of two expectant mothers, one carrying the savior of the world and the other, the one who would play a key role in preparing the way for his coming, the greeting that resulted in an impromptu expression of unabashed in utero joy. And then Mary's song, her glorious magnificat. Don't have time to preach on that either, but read it sometime this week and notice how truly remarkably revolutionary it is. Here's another revolutionary song. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We sing in defiance of empire. Let earth receive her king, her true king we sing in a growing chorus to disrupt all the forces that for millennia have and continue to keep marginalized people from experiencing the joy of being a body. Let every heart prepare him room, we say, to white supremacy and colonialism systems we ourselves are enmeshed with and are complicit in but are learning to recognize and repent of and join in the work of dismantling He rules the world with truth and grace, we sing to shame-based purity cultures that are directly linked to these systems. These are just some of the reasons why joy and pleasure are important theologically. More could be said. But I wanna turn now to the question of how we might take steps toward living into joy and pleasure as embodied followers of Jesus. Do so remember what Jesus said when he was asked what the most important commandment was? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is this, love others as well as you love yourself. Some translations say, love your neighbor as yourself. What if the biggest reason we have such a hard time truly loving our neighbors, as Jesus desires and calls us to, is that we have such a hard time loving ourselves? And there is no commandment greater than these, says Jesus after that. So this is kind of important. Hillary put me onto an author called Sonia Renee Taylor. In her book, The Body Is Not an Apology, she calls for a revolution of radical self-love, which she describes in this way. Radical self-love is deeper, wider, more expansive than anything we would call self-confidence or self-esteem. It is juicier than self-acceptance including the word radical, offers us a self-love that is the root or origin of our relationship to ourselves. We did not start life in a negative partnership with our bodies. I've never seen a toddler lament the size of their thighs, the squishiness of their bellies. Children do not arrive here ashamed of their race, gender, age, or disabilities. Babies love their bodies each discovery they encounter is freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen an infant realize they have feet? Mm -hmm. Talk about wonder. That is what an unobstructed relationship with our bodies looks like. You, you were an infant once, which means there was a time when you thought your body was freaking awesome too. Now, connecting to that memory may feel as distant as the furthest star. It may not be a memory you can access at all, but just knowing there was a point in your history when you once loved your body can be a reminder that body shame is a fantastically crappy inheritance. We didn't give it to ourselves, and we are not obligated to keep it. We arrived on this planet as love. It's a really long quote, this is still Taylor, by the way. We do not need, we need not do anything other than turn on the television for evidence affirming how desperately our society, our world needs an extreme form of self-love to counter the constant barrage of shame, discrimination and body-based oppression enacted against us daily. That's the end of it, finally. (laughs) I'm coming to believe That a commitment to radical self-love, such as Taylor describes, is a crucial basis for living into joy and pleasure as a bodily process. God loves you and I this way. We also ought to love ourselves in this way. And this is how love can flow out to others. And let me just say, self-love is the opposite of selfishness. So you know when you're on a plane and they say, if there's an emergency, you put on your own oxygen mask first, right, before assisting others? which of course is because you can't help anyone if if you can't breathe. Oxygen flows like love. If you're not receiving love from God and loving yourself, you have nothing to extend to others. Now the remainder of what I wanna say this morning is what I hope will be something of a litany of inspiration. And I offer it in the hope that maybe something will spark within, will move us toward action like a kick in the womb of our souls. This litany will progress under three headings but actually I want to call them umbrellas because it's raining a lot these days and also because Adri's class, my daughter, was recently learning the letter U and they made little umbrella art projects which look like this. So three joy and pleasure practice umbrellas we can live into. First theme is movement. movement. I remember one of the first times I actually ventured ventured onto and stayed on a dance floor. It was at my brother-in-law's wedding. I was raised as a disembodied Mennonite. And so it took until I was almost 30, almost 30, to truly appreciate the joy that comes from moving my body to music. Um, A week or so, I I sat down and I watched the video of one of our lip sync battles from church retreat. (laughs) Oh, church retreat gushing tears emoji Um, i both laughed and cried when i saw myself and my fellow pastors being ridiculous my lived experience as a parent has of course connected me with the movement of children in a new way and how movement is connected to touch whether it's dancing or hugs or snuggles or whatever it is dancing together kids have a way of opening us up in fresh ways to the joys and pleasures of simply moving our bodies. Speaking of childlikeness, Audrey Assad is a great follow on Instagram. If you happen to be on it, Audrey Assad wrote a number of the songs that we sing as a church. Humble is one, Good to Me. Uh, she shared a video the other day of her dancing non habitually. I'll say more about what she means by that. To a song for over five minutes, and it's unreal. So she, here's what she said I want to talk for a moment about non habitual movement in dance. It can be so easy, even when dancing alone, to feel pressured to look a certain way while moving. What would happen if for just one session of movement, you, all caps, intentionally moved non-habitually in ways that feel different, new or strange. You can pepper it in, it with, uh, pepper it in with normal movements if you wish. I can tell you it's liberating and brings up different stuff emotionally than I might otherwise encounter in healing dance. I did this for three hours yesterday. (laughs) Still processing all that I worked through. So grateful. you imagine doing that three hours? She posted five minutes. Probably a mercy. But my own experience with movement, I've run several half marathons over the past number of years, but friends, I am longing for a rebirth of my personal exercise rhythms. It's been a hard year, year and a huge loss, and I've been lamenting it. It's partly due to our situation in life as parents, our schedules, general COVID stress, related exhaustion. It's been tough, but I'll get there. I'm hopeful at the same time. Speaking of hopefulness, I came across a post by our friend Michelle Appenheimer the other day, and I got her permission to quote her. Here's what she had to say. I'm doing a fitness challenge that goes beyond what I normally do. And I would just like to say this out loud for myself. I am not doing it to lose weight. I'm doing it to get stronger, I'm doing it so my kids can watch me sweat and work hard, I want to teach them how to take care of their bodies and moving is one way of doing that. I'm doing it so I can walk uphill by myself with both my kids with ease. I'm doing it to improve my mood, I'm doing it for the endorphins, I'm doing it to get more oxygen circulating through my blood and to improve my overall health. I have seen too many memes shaming people for gaining weight during this pandemic, and it is exhausting. You can have a big body like me and also be healthy. I am fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) PS, she says, I wanna encourage you to move too. I'm a big fan of dance parties with your household, of course. New research is showing that the psychological effects of movement can't be reduced to an endorphin rush. According to Dr. Kelly McGonigal, author of The Joy of Movement, physical activity influences many other brain chemicals, including those that give you energy, alleviate worry, and help you bond with others. It reduces inflammation in the brain, which over time can protect against depression, anxiety, and loneliness. Regular exercise also remodels the physical structure of your brain to make you more receptive to joy and social connection. These neurological changes rival those observed in the most cutting-edge treatments for both depression and addiction. The mind-altering effects of exercise are even embedded in your musculature. During physical activity, muscles secrete hormones into your bloodstream that make your brain more resilient to stress. Scientists call them hope molecules." McGonigal concludes, looking at the evidence, it's hard not to conclude that our entire physiology was engineered to reward us for moving. How are you, how am I being invited to live into the joy and pleasure of being a body through movement? Second umbrella, creativity. Here, I just really want to celebrate those in our community whose bodies can't seem to stop making stuff. Which, at the end of the day, is all of us. Because the divine image in each of us is always being drawn toward filling the earth and uh, stewarding it toward acts of creation and cultivation. But a few in particular I want to highlight. You who have become new parents during COVID. A joyful experience for many, to be sure, but not without its stresses. Premature births, related complications, test our ability to hold on to hope in each other. So we continue to stand with you and pray with you, Lindsay and Nathaniel, and for little Edmund. You who have taken on a new job lately, you're learning and creating all the time, and we pray you'll find joy even amid the growth curves and new relationships and processes, maybe commute. You who are students, reading, crafting assignments, writing exams, may at least some of that creative work be pleasurable. Shouts to Jalen and Matthew for their musical humor that's brought joy to so many during this time. Keeps doing it. Jenny, Binet, Brie McDaniel, Zach Pick, Jordan Claussen, John Bryant, other musicians in our community who are continuing to find ways to make and share their music with the world. Megan Bustard. Brie McDaniel, Chelsea McKenzie, Zach Bulick, other visual artists and designers. Caitlin Williams, Ben Corns, Kenton Claussen, John Voth, Laurie Cocotilo, Rebecca DeBoer, Evangela Kopinski, Shauna Johansson, other actors, theatre artists, writers who are making things and auditioning and submitting grant applications. Photographers and videographers, Rachel Pick, Brittany Burner, Greg Gillespie, others. Whitney Shire, who's making all manner of custom things, toques, caps, masks. <laughs> Avery Creighton, who's making beautiful pottery. My wife, Terry, who continues to make puppets and ornaments. Suvi Tigen, Kristen Franz, Nathan Grauman, who I'm sure are among many others in our community who are baking and cooking things, and in many cases, sharing and often delivering them to others to spread joy and pleasure. The makers and producers of this new home liturgy Terry and Jesse, Chris Milani, Evan Petkow, who's right behind the camera, Jordan, the staff team, musicians, scripture readers, Peter Mogan, who's read scripture tonight, preachers. My buddy and yours, Scott McTaggart, who continues to curate artisans' social media presence with artistry, hospitality, and sensitivity, and I think with some joy. Many others could be named, but I've only got 20 or 25 minutes here. I wanted to take a few moments to mention at least a few and to ask us how might God be inviting you to live into joy and pleasure through creativity and to share it with others. Last umbrella, rest, rest. I recently learned about a woman named Trisha Hersey who founded a movement called The Nap Ministry a few years ago. Anyone heard of The Nap Ministry? The Instagram profile of the nap ministry, which you all need to go and follow right now, we, says this, we examine the liberating power of naps. We believe rest is a form of resistance and reparations. We install nap experiences, founded in 2016. Here are a few quotes from the Instagram page, which Trisha, also known as the nap bishop, is quick to point out is not the real work. The work, she says, is laying down and making space for others to lay down. That said, the quotes are inspiring. So let the litany of inspiration continue just for a brief moment. It says, fortify your hearts with rest. Rest is part of our resistance. A black woman in a rested state is a radical act. We are bound up in so many ways because we have accepted exhaustion as normal. Many people see grind culture as this pie-in-the-sky monster when it's actually your individual behaviors daily, constantly requesting more and more from people and living in a state of urgency about non-urgent things. Deep healing around your trauma is necessary. Decolonize. You are not a machine. Stop grinding. My body is an antenna for infinite ideas and inventions when I rest, nap, sleep, daydream. Our lives are a beautiful experiment in curiosity and creation. We can craft a life outside of the toxic systems. Why collective care, imagination and rest is so vital to our liberation, without them we will not make it. The Sabbath commandment is given in two different places in the Old Testament for two different but connected reasons in Exodus 20 The people of God are commanded to rest because God rested after making the world. In Deuteronomy 5, the command to rest is given as a reminder that they were once slaves in Egypt, but that God brought them out of slavery. Same command, two reasons. In one, the context is creation. God created for six days and rested for one. Subtext, you're not God. Stop working on the regular. In the other, The context is liberation. You were once enslaved, but God brought you out of it. So the subtext is slaves can't take a break, but free people can. You're free. Act like it. Take a nap. How might God be inviting you to live into joy and pleasure through rest? As part of our response, before we come to the Lord's table, I want to again invite you into some embodied prayer, a very brief silence, just to attend to your breath, take a few deep breaths, and I'm going to invite you into some postures and some movements and uh, have a little bit of fun with this and kids, you can get involved as well. So first, I invite you to hold yourself with your arms and say with me to God, from the moment I was created, you have been holding me. May I learn to receive this love and out of the overflow, offer it to others. I invite you to take some moments just to give yourself a little neck massage. And we say to God, you have given me a body to experience and express comfort, that I can be your hands of gentleness and mother love for myself, for those around me. So this one, Invite you to do a little dance or jig or wiggle because you're kind of sitting in this space, and we don't want to have like a full-blown dance party because COVID. But whatever you can kind of do to dance or to make a couple of moves, you know, um, doesn't matter. You know, it's kind of your your own kind of choice. Really lame moonwalk right here. Um, and we say thank you, God, for giving us bodies that can dance and move and sing and play. Help us know in our bodies that you long for us as your children to experience freedom and joy. Last posture, invite you to just rest your head in your hands. Let me say thank you God for the body that needs rest. That reminds me of your invitation to not always be doing so much. And urges me to give up my attachment to productivity Into a capitalist society. A deep breath.